Good evening, everybody. It's good to see you. Man, we almost did it tonight. Oh, we almost got there. We almost got to where everybody was in the front three sections. <laughs> we've, got some, we've got some folks that are a little reluctant. So, so I want to let you know before we kind of start unpacking Romans that we, we came back a little early on our, um, it's actually the staff prayer getaway. There was a foot of snow coming to the mountains <laughs> starting last night. And we thought, do we, do we stay and just get snowed in and y'all are on your own tonight? And, and we felt like, no, God would have us come back and and uh, we felt the hand of the Lord with us in such amazing ways. We continued today, actually at my house, uh, meeting and seeking the Lord and strategizing. But, you know, the word that God has given us through Nehemiah as a church, to, we're digging ditches, we're believing God for blessing, we're believing that 2024 is going to be um, a year of fruitfulness that is gonna blow our minds. The world is going one way, but the church is going another. And, and so, you know, people are confused and distraught and divided and hateful and all the stuff, but in the church, we're getting stronger, we're getting more joyful in the, in, in, against all that darkness and strife. And so I'm excited, I'm excited, but that, so the theme we carried in to the getaway and we are organizing for growth. We're streamlining and, you know, our staff is relatively small and we know that the, the fruitfulness and the blessedness um, that is happening here and that's going to happen here is, yes, the staff is, is crucial to that, but it's all the other leaders and servants in our church that serve faithfully. And, and so there's so many amazing things that, um, that God showed us and that we believe God is gonna do. So I'll talk a little bit more about that on Sunday. So let's pray, shall we? And we'll open up the word together. Lord, you are the God who speaks to us. You, you counsel us with your eye upon us. You're at work in us continually. You never stop this work. You're showing us your will and you're giving us the power to do your will. And so, Lord, we want to be the kind of people who continually hoist our sails and catch the wind of the Spirit. Not tossed to and fro, but, Lord, directed by you, guided by you down the path of your perfect will leading into fruitfulness, blessedness. The hope of the world, Lord, is Jesus. He's the answer, the answer to everything. So tonight, Lord, we pray that your word would just kind of penetrate our hearts and, and enrich us and, uh, and cause us, Lord, to be spiritually nourished. So speak to us through your word tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We just got through about three verses last week, so we'll kind of re-pick it up at, at verse four. And so I just got to say about Romans, I, I want you to uh, just consider some of the things that are going to be addressed in the book of Romans. And the, the issues are huge. And, um, and I'm not going to rehearse all of them with you tonight. But the role of Israel in the world, there's a lot of debate in the church and in various church circles about does God have a plan for Israel? And there's a lot of churches that say no, that God is through with national Israel, that the church has inherited all the promises that were given to Israel, and that was God's plan all along. And so that... Uh, the promises to Israel now, the Jews, the few Jews that came in in the beginning to the church, that's, that's the fulfillment. 
And so, uh, you know, some people call it replacement theology, you know, and the, those who believe that, you know, they think that that's unfair and that's a pejorative or whatever, but it's true. They're saying that Israel, or that the church replaced Israel, and that what's happening in the Middle East right now has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with prophecy. It's just coincidence. Also, Romans hits an issue that maybe you haven't verbalized it. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been in conversations about it. But do we have a free will? Or does God just predestine and choose people for salvation and choose others for damnation? So there's another whole part of the church that says, yes, that God arbitrarily, for his reasons only known to him, chooses certain people for salvation and then chooses, he reprobates other people specifically for damnation. And they put this all under the banner of God's sovereignty. And they say, you know, we can't fully understand it other than know that it's for his glory and God is just in doing so and that we really don't have the freedom to choose. That salvation itself, in fact, it begins with God regenerating us first and then we're able to choose to believe in Jesus. And so that's a, that's a big, big controversy in the church and has been since about the fifth century when a guy named Augustine came along and began to teach this kind of thing. And so there are many churches who are Christians, by the way, we're not saying that they are not a part of the, the greater church and people whom I love in our, in our city, um, the Reformed Church, Magic Valley Bible Church, uh, Taproot Church, all people that we love who believe this theology. And so we'll hit that head on. And do we, do people have the ability to believe in Jesus apart from first being born again? So these are all big issues. And, and the deeper philosophical issue about that is everything determined and it, this is just a, you know, it's all just playing out and nothing we do matters and, and so on. Big stuff, big stuff. But tonight, tonight, we're in the beginning, the introduction phase. And so I'm going to throw out, oh, a few words and phrases to kind of help frame uh, the verses that we're going to get through tonight. So the first word is declaration, declaration. So we continue in verse four. So Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus was declared to be the son of God. The resurrection didn't, didn't make him the son of God. It simply revealed him to be the Son of God. So in John chapter 2, maybe you remember this story, Jesus entered the courts of the temple. And as he got in there, he encountered oxen and sheep and pigeons and all kinds of animals that were being sold to the worshipers in Jerusalem to be able to sacrifice unto God. And there were money changers who were taking the monies from people from different countries who had traveled to Jerusalem and then changing them and making a killing on the exchange rate right? I mean, they were doing an incredible business in there. Jesus comes in, he fashions a cord or a whip out of some cord, some ropes, and he begins to drive out all the animals. He's just driving them out of the temple court. Then he goes over to the money changers. He flips over their tables. Coins are flying everywhere. People are running out like crazy scene. Jesus is doing this. After the dust had kind of settled, some Jews came to Jesus and said, 
by what authority do you do this? Like, who the heck are you? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration of who he is. Interestingly, side note, that declaration of Jesus, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, that would be the charge that they brought against Jesus. I heard him say he was gonna destroy the temple. He's a terrorist, I heard it, I bugged his conversation. I, he, he's a terrorist, he's planning to destroy the temple building. The resurrection didn't make him the son of God, it revealed him to be the son of God. Well, notice secondly, the faith that works, verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So the obedience of faith, that's an awesome phrase. Obedient faith is one of the, one of the core themes of, of Romans. And we are saved by grace through what? Faith. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? Nobody's going to boast that they made it to heaven. But true saving faith is always followed by works. It's always coupled with a changed life. And so James said in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith alone is dead unless it's coupled with works. Now, this has been a bone of contention amongst the church for, since the beginning, but I love how Billy Graham explained this uh, in one of his books, I forget which, I just clipped the quote, and here it is. There is really no conflict between faith and works. In the Christian life, they go together like inhaling and exhaling. Faith is taking the gospel in, works is taking the gospel out. Actually, what James is saying is you can't have one without the other. The book of James balances off this matter of faith and works and reminds us that the Christian must have both. True, we are not saved by works, but James reminds us also that we are not saved if good works don't follow. Some people argue this point so vehemently that it almost becomes the old argument which is, of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. The word believe comes from two words, be and live. Faith helps us to be spiritually. But after we receive life, it's to find expression in Christian works and deeds. To show that we are in no conflict, the scriptures between the two, Paul, the advocate of faith, speaking... Uh, speaks of being rich in works. And James, the exponent of works, says rich in faith. Why be content with either when God has provided for and says we must have both? So, faith and works cannot be separated. And a saving faith will have works flowing from it. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he said, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. Now, if, if my uh, public education serves me well, 40 years ago, plus 40, more than that. How old am I? Wow, long time ago. There's two components to salt, sodium and chloride. Now, if you ingest either one of those by themselves, they would be very damaging to you. They are toxic. But when you combine them, man, they make a steak taste really good. Salt. 
makes, it just brings out the flavor. It just makes life, salt makes the life, makes our lives better in so many ways. Believing and doing. They go together to make us the salt of the earth. Well, number three, we belong, we belong. Romans 1.6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in pondering this this week, that word belong just, just jumped out at me. We are called to belong. We're called to belong, to belong to Jesus. A lot of people struggle to belong. Where do I belong? And they look for a community. They look for their people. They look for something that they can be a part of. They want to belong. I couldn't help as a young guy in the 80s to think of Pat Benatar. <laughs> Pat Benatar people just resonated with that reference. We belong. Remember that song? We belong to the night. Is it night or light? We belong to the night. We belong to the thunder. We belong to the sound of the words we've both fallen, other, fallen under. Whatever we deny or embrace, for we're so forbidden, we belong. Yes. We belong together. So, 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We belong to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, we, we are owned by Jesus. So we are no longer in charge of our life. He is. So Paul, for instance, writes to the Corinthians, you guys, your culture, and you, even within the church, you're saying the stomach for uh, food, food for the stomach. And you're using that argument to be able to have sex, you know, with anybody, when, wherever. When, but hey, God designed the stomach and God designed your body. Don't you know that you have been bought with a price and you are not your own? You belong to Christ. Therefore, Glorify God in your body. Don't just do whatever your natural inclinations are, your proclivity. Don't just follow those. You follow Jesus because you belong to Jesus. And as his possession, we do belong together. Clusters of his people gathering all over planet Earth every week of every year. Well, we are loved. Not only do we belong, but we are loved. And I love this description for the believers. Loved by God. Loved by God. That's, that's a title for you that you, can, you could put on your refrigerator or wherever, loved by God. That's who I am, loved by God. You are loved by God. And so th this, and, and I probably harp on this, you know, well, not too much for sure, but I do it a lot. Loved by God is difficult for us to embrace. We like the idea of it, but God wants to, to experience it in our emotions, embrace it in our intellect, that, that we really lay hold of this. And the, 
the problem that we deal with is in our emotions, that our emotions are oftentimes at war with that truth. So, I think the, the, the reason is, is that we're, we're constantly haunted by the sinful nature that we all possess. And it just horrible stuff runs through our hearts and minds at times. It's just terrible. And it's every day. You know, it would be amazing if we all had a little, little TV screen over our heads that broadcast what was going through our mind at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, everybody, oh, no, please. But a lot of times we think, well, that's only me. I'm the only one that has this terrible stuff. But you're not the only one. It's part of our existence. I remember going to Russia years ago to visit my brother. My brother and his wife and their three kids said, had moved there uh, to start a church. We had, we had gone uh, earlier to do evangelism. And, and, uh, and so I went back, and I think this was about a year later, to visit my brother Jeff and his wife Christina and their three kids in their, in their flat in Russia. And, um, and so I got there and uh, they had just gotten a pet about a week earlier before I had arrived, and they didn't get a dog, they didn't get a cat, they didn't get a fish, they didn't get a parrot. They got a rat. A rat for their flat. And I personally, I just have a little bit of a hard time developing any kind of emotional connection with a rat. And so... I was watching my brother and his family, and my daughter Katie was with me on that trip, and, and they're holding this little rat, they're petting it, and they're, they're kissing it, and they're showing all this love to this little rat. And, and I kept thinking, how confusing this must be for the rat. I mean, he must be thinking, I'm, I'm a dirty little rodent. Don't they understand my, my kind? We live in sewers, typically. We carry diseases around. And, and what are these people doing holding me and loving me and blessing me? At any moment, they're going to remember I'm a rat. And then it's all over. And I think sometimes we feel that way. I'm a rat. How can God love me? How can he bless my life when I've, I've come out of the sewer and I still have sewer stuff? I'm faced daily with my rattiness and, and surely God can't love me like the Bible says he does. And one of these days he's gonna remember I'm a rat and then it's all over. But the truth is, despite yours and mine rat-likeness, you are loved of God. Utterly, completely, and eternally. And nothing can separate you from it. Nothing. Literally nothing. Read Romans 8. So, but it, it it's, goes more than that. Next he says we're, we're called saints. Saints in, in Roman Catholic theology. Sainthood is something that is earned and it's, it's bestowed upon a person uh, via a vote. And the criteria, if I remember right, to become a saint is, is a martyrdom, a heroic, heroic virtue, or a, a, a outstanding life um, and reputation of holiness. And so the most important, the one prerequisite for becoming a saint is that you have to be dead. 
you have, you have to get dead first. And so that's obviously not the biblical idea of what a saint is, right? Paul's writing to very much alive Christians in the city of Rome, in Italy. And a person becomes a saint when Jesus Christ becomes their savior. Saint, hegeos, it means one who is set apart. Set apart unto God. Dr. J. Vernon McGee used to say, friends, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's the saints and the ain'ts. If you aren't a saint, you're an ain't. And that's absolutely true. So he then says, grace and peace to you Grace and peace, you find these two words coupled together and in this order always. And the reason is, at least one reason, is you can't have the peace of God until you first experience the grace of God. So, peace with God, grace allows us and brings us into relationship to where we have peace with God. And until we have peace with God, we can't have the peace of God. Okay, peace with God. That means the war is over. I'm no longer fighting him. I'm no longer the enemy of God, like Ephesians 2 says. So, so once I come to Christ and I'm brought into the realm of grace, and I now have peace with God. I'm no longer fighting with God. God is now for me, and all of God's omnipotence is now not against me. It's for me. Now I can have the peace of God. And the peace of God is that, that sense of well-being, that sense of everything is going to be okay. No matter how crazy the circumstances might be in my life, there is this wonderful sense that it's all right. It's okay. I can take a nap in this boat even though it's getting tossed by the storm. You can experience peace with God when you're saved but still not know the peace of God. And there's a lot of fretting Christians, they fret, they worry about everything. They just, ah, oh, they worry, they fret, they worry. And, and moments in life and circumstances overtake them. And, and they think somehow this is outside of the realm of God's promises. This is outside of the realm of God's sovereignty and care and, and love for me. And so we freak out. The peace of God is, is, is exactly for those moments. It's exactly suited to bring calm to us when things are seemingly going off the rails. So Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God, which, which transcends rationality, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense on a, on a materialistic, natural level because your circumstances are, are messed up, but somehow you have a sense that it's going to be all right. God loves, loves to grant that supernatural peace to his kids. And it's for the asking. Prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will, will. It absolutely will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not a, it might. So I, I just think there's a lot of people, a lot of God's kids 
they, they don't take him up on that. They don't take this promise to the bank and cash it in. And so they stew in the anxiety. They stew in the fretting. Well, number, number I don't know. Their witness, verse 8. So he says, first, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So people were hearing about the Christians at Rome. Like, man, those people are really, uh, they're, they're incredible. They're growing, they're serving, they're preaching. They're, they're an incredible church there. And so it was this dynamic church who were growing in the Lord. Their testimony was spreading to the other regions. And Paul says, I pray for you continually. Like, man, I am, I am on your prayer team. And I, you know, I had so many people tell me, man, we are praying, we're praying for you, we're praying for our church, we're praying for the getaway, we're praying. And, uh, and I've had numerous people just come up and just pray for me. This happens occasionally anyway, which I love. And, but I'm leaving church on Sunday, and uh, my dear brother from the church here, Larry, I, I'm getting into my car, and I start the car to warm it up, and I open the door to get out, and I get out, and, and, and here's Larry right here, and I turn on him. He, he's this far from my face. He has a smile on his face. And he says, can I pray for you? I go, yes. And I bow my head and he just prays. God would bless and speak and move. And, and prayer, prayer is, is, is the fuel. It's, it's, it's mysterious in so many ways how God has, has chosen to to place the doing of his will somehow into the fabric of our prayers. Like prayer, it changes, it really matters. We don't believe in determinism. We don't believe in what, what some of our brothers and sisters do, that think all things are determined. We, we believe that things change because we pray, that God hears our prayers and that, that he does stuff because we pray. Well, next, notice the prosperity gospel. Verse 10. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. A prosperous journey. So, I, th I think we... We, we pray that way quite a bit. Lord, bless this trip. Keep us safe. You know, that kind of thing. But, but I don't think Paul has safety in mind. Nor do I think Paul has the idea that he's going to pick up bags of cash along the way on this journey. So, so what is Paul talking about? When he says, give us a prosperous journey to Rome. Well, when you read about his journey to Rome in the book of Acts, it does not look prosperous in, in the way that we think of prosperous. He went as a prisoner. He went through a horrific storm at sea. I mean, a hellacious storm in which everybody just about died. When they finally got to dry ground, a snake jumped out at Paul and attached himself to Paul, a poisonous snake. Okay, this, is, this is after Paul prayed for a prosperous journey. And I bring that up to say this, let's allow the scripture to shape our understandings of what prosperity really is. 
And Paul's journey to Rome indeed was prosperous. So, notice next the impartation, the impartation, verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. So Paul, Paul is longing, he's aching to be able to get to Rome. Now I mentioned last week, part of it is, is his missionary strategy. Rome is the world's premier city. All roads lead to Rome and all roads lead from Rome. And so Rome is connected to the world. And so Paul, no doubt, is thinking, man, need to get to Rome, need to be able to minister in Rome, preach the gospel in Rome, win more people to Jesus in Rome. I long to come to Rome and to encourage and minister to those who are now Christians, the church in Rome. And, and so I'm longing for this. And it says he longs to impart a gift. To impart a gift. A spiritual gift. So, there's a lot of debate. You can read the commentaries on this and there's disagreement. What is the gift? What's the gift that, God wants, or that Paul wants to impart to the church at Rome? So some say that, well, this is like the, the gift that Timothy got through the laying on of hands. Remember that in, uh, I think it's 1 Timothy, where Paul says, don't neglect the gift that you receive through the laying on of hands. So the, it's a spiritual gift like that, that Paul's gonna go, he's gonna lay hands on people and they're gonna get a, 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 a charismatic gift, a spiritual gift. But then others say, no, He's talking about the gift of the gospel, which in, in, in terms of um, the information about the gospel at this point, it was developing, right? The New Testament is not written at this point. Letters were being written. But Paul is saying, I want to come and I want to impart truth to you and to the end that you may be established. Now, which one is it? I have not landed. Therefore, I will not say, I'll let you study that issue if you choose to, and you come tell me where you land. But notice, and this is the more important uh, point, is that Paul expected to be blessed. Now this is something, this is like a kingdom secret. Paul says that I may be comforted together with you. So I'm coming to serve you. I'm coming to minister to you. I'm coming to impart a gift to you. And he says that I may be comforted with you. Isn't that interesting? So Paul knows something here. He knows that as he gives forth, as he serves, as he ministers, there's going to be something coming back to him. Okay, this is the way it is in the kingdom. And if, if you decide, yeah, man, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to volunteer for this thing. I'm going to give my life in this area. I'm going to, you know, uh, join the children's ministry at my church, and I'm going to serve there, whatever. Is that the moment you begin to shovel out of your life, God, with the bigger shovel, shovels back into you. And it's amazing how that works. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given to you. It's a kingdom truth. Well, notice next our debt, our debt. Verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come to you but uh, was not able, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wives 
and to the unwise. So, so Paul says, I've tried again and again and again and again to come to you guys. I've been stopped. I just, God hasn't let me, let me go to this point. But then he reveals his heart to them, and he says, I'm in debt to you. Now, isn't that a curious way to look at things? I'm in debt to you. I'm indebted. I'm indebted to people in the world that I don't even know personally. That's what he's saying. Paul would never been to Rome at this point. I'm indebted to Greeks. I'm indebted to barbarians. I'm indebted to wise, to unwise. I'm indebted to, you know, the rich and the poor, the Republicans, the Democrats. I'm indebted to people. There's an interesting story found in 2 Kings 7. Four lepers found themselves in an interesting predicament. And um, there was no food for them, and it seemed that their only hope was to go into a city that was an enemy city, a Syrian city. And the reason uh, that they, they... didn't go earlier is that, you know, they didn't want to die. (laughs) It's an enemy city. But there's food there, and these four lepers are dying, and so they're just thinking, we have nothing to lose, okay? We have nothing to lose. We're going to die. If we we don't go get food, we are going to die. So they decided, let's just do it. Let's just go to this city, and uh, we're lepers. You know, it's hard to hide, you know, our situation, but we'll just go there. And so they do. They go to the city, and they go at twilight, and, and an amazing thing had happened. There wasn't a person to be found in the city. Not one. It was a ghost town. The four lepers, they could, they could hardly believe their eyes. Like, what in the world? And the Lord, it says in that text, had made the Syrians hear the noise of chariots and horses and armies, and it scared them out of their city. There was a panic in the city to where everybody freaked out and just ran out of the city. And so these four lepers come waltzing into the city, and everybody's gone, and everything in the city was still there. All the goods, all the food, all the stuff, everything was still there. And they're like, whoa, what? They started going from tent to tent, eating and drinking and just taking gold and silver and just just taking stuff, man. It's it's all there. It's all free. How much does it cost? Free 99. Just grab stuff. It would be like, you know, Costco opened the doors. No workers there. And there's four people awake on that day, and you're one of them. Take your three buddies. We're going to Costco. Grab a cart and a bag and a truck. You start taking stuff. These guys were living it up. Couldn't believe it. But all of a sudden, it hit them. And here's what it says in 2 Kings 7, 9. Then they said to one another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. In other words, we can't keep this good news to ourselves. We have to go tell the others. We have to. We have a debt. That's Paul's spirit. Paul, who's enjoyed the abundance of the riches of Christ in his life, and all those who have found the treasure of the gospel must share it with mankind. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. It's a debt. We'll notice next, he was always ready, verse 15. So much, or so, as much as is in me, 
or as much as in me is, <laughs> I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am ready. Paul was always ready. Instant, in season, out of season. When it's convenient, when it's not. He preached at Jerusalem, the religious center of the world. He was mobbed uh, in a riot. He preached at Athens, the intellectual capital of the world. He was mocked mercilessly. He would eventually preach at Rome, the the giant capital city of the world, and he would be martyred. And he was ready for that. I'm ready. They tried to keep Paul from going to Jerusalem that one time. You remember that in the book of Acts? Oh, Paul, please don't. They even prophesied in the, this drama, this prophecy. Paul, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be tied up and bound and beaten. And, da, 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 da. and Paul's like, hey, guys, listen. I appreciate that you care about me like that. That's so great. But I care very little about my life. I just want to finish my course. I want to, I want to run the race with endurance and finish my course. There are things worth dying for. And I'm not afraid of that. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Though the world may mock, though people may scoff, it's my only boast. It's all I got. I'm a sinner. And somehow God saw fit to save me. It is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the answer to humanity's greatest problems. It answers the question, how did we get into this mess? Why are we in this mess? How do we get out of this mess? It answers the question, where is the world heading? What's going to happen? The Greek word translated power is dunamis, and the, the dunamis power, dynamite power of God. The, in itself, the gospel has power, innate power. And the gospel transforms lives. So, so this is what I, I tell people who are struggling, who are really struggling with you know, insecurity and self-doubt when it comes to sharing the gospel. The gospel itself is the power, not you. Okay, it's not your great presentation. It's not you getting the words, you know, lined up just right. It's not that at all. It's, it's the gospel itself. It's Jesus crucified for our sins, buried, rose again three days later, ascended into heaven, coming again. It's Jesus, the gospel, the good news. And so if you, can, if you can share that simple message that God became a man, bore our sins in our place upon the cross, paid for our sins, died and then rose to beat death on our behalf. That's all you need, gang. It's all you need. And you will be shocked if you decide that I'm gonna, Lord, I'm gonna be bold and, and the next time an opportunity presents itself in a conversation and you'll know it, you'll know. It's like, oh, this is the moment. And you say, have you, have you heard about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? And they say, well, I mean, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know a whole lot. 
Well, can I tell you that Jesus Christ is actually God become man who died on the cross for you, for your sin. He paid for your sin. They buried him dead, but he came back to life three days later. He ascended in heaven. He's coming again. And Jesus loves you. And he wants to be your Lord and Savior. And you may discover that that person that God brings to you this week or next week, God's been prepping them for that little five-minute conversation for their whole life. It's crazy. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not your ability to, you know, explore the deeper things of theology and philosophy and whatever. It's just not. So the end and the effect of, God, of the gospel is salvation, according to Paul. Salvation, which is an all-inclusive term, which simply means deliverance. It's, it's deliverance. We're being delivered. And so it embraces everything from justification to glorification. It's an act, and it's a process. It's, it's equally true that I have been saved. I am saved but I am being saved and I will be saved. And so that's, that's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, unto deliverance for us. And then lastly, we'll, we'll wrap it up. And uh, verse 17 says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So God is perfect and flawless, righteous in all his ways. Humans are flawed and sinful. So the gospel shows how the righteousness of God can be bestowed upon sinful people like us. And God makes it clear throughout the Bible, and we'll see this expressed so powerfully, so clearly by Paul in Romans, that the righteousness of God, or rather that he will not accept self-generated righteousness, man-generated righteousness. It's, it's like filthy rags to God, it's repugnant. So Paul is talking about the imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, that's what the gospel brings to us. We, are, we receive the righteousness of Christ. So the only method of, of procuring this righteousness is by faith. It's a by faith righteousness. And it's by faith and for faith. It's for a life of faith. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't help it. You can't add to it in any way. You can only accept it. So we don't receive the gospel and receive salvation by faith and then move to a different mode of operation. You remember in Galatians 3? No. Galatians 2? Yes. <laughs> Galatians 2, 6, just as you received him, so walk in him, just as you receive Christ. How did you receive Christ? By faith. That's how you walk. You see, you look with eyes of faith, and eyes of faith open up the realm of the kingdom to you. Open up the promises of God to you. Enable you to stand upon his exceeding great and precious promises, which, which will, among other things, bring that supernatural peace upon you when you're in the midst of your storm. You're like, God, you're good. You're with me. It's gonna be all right. I trust you. 
I trust you. I, I cast my cares and anxiety and worry, all that stuff. I just give it to you. So Philippians 3.9 says, Paul, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So God demands righteousness. If you are not perfect, you cannot, God will not accept you. Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you, you will not see God. God demands this righteousness. And God provides this righteousness. And so, God does not disregard his holiness and his justice in doing so. He saves us by grace, which means there's no merit in us. It's unmerited. There's nothing about us that forces God to save us. He saves us purely upon the merit of his son. Now this is amazing. This is so awesome. In our marriages, you know, we've probably had the conversation, your wife will ask you, oh, do you love me? Oh yes, honey, I love you. Why do you love me, honey? Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so kind and you're so gifted. You're such a good cook. And God says to us, I love you. Even if you're a lousy cook and you're ugly. I love you if you're a rat. It's a love that's not tethered to anything that you are or did or do. I just love you and nothing's gonna change it. Nothing is going to change it. This is the love we all long for. A love that is so secure that it frees you to be absolutely you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray tonight that we would be good embracers of your love, embracers of our position in Christ. And that our, our rat-like tendencies, our sinful old man that's constantly just kind of with us and bugging us and at times dominating us here and there. Lord, that we wouldn't allow that to, to deceive us into thinking somehow that, that you, you don't love us because of it. Rather, Lord, that that, that, would, that would give us a greater and a deeper appreciation. That, that we are, we can put on our refrigerators, loved of God. It's who I am. I am loved of God. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness and help us to overcome the Silly little insecurities that we have, Lord, about talking to people about you. We are indebted to our fellow humans. Lord, we've, we've wandered into the greatest riches that there are. And they are infinite and abundant. How dare we not tell? our co-workers and our friends and our family members. So give us the boldness, Lord. And we know it's the gospel itself 
that you've empowered to save people. It's not us. It's not our presentation. It's not our arguments. So help us to rest in that. Lord, meet us in worship. And Lord, for anyone here tonight who needs deliverance in some way or maybe just wants that special touch of boldness or perhaps has been having a hard time embracing your love. Lord, would you, would you do a work here tonight and meet them in prayer? Listen, if you would like prayer tonight, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and make your way down here to the front and um, there's going to be uh, someone here to meet you. And we're just going to take a couple minutes here and, and, um, and lift up our, our needs, our cares to the Lord. And you might be in a, one of those moments in life where things are just kind of crazy and out of control. You don't know how your needs are going to be met or what's going to happen. And so God, God would impart to you the peace of God in the midst of your storm. How? Well, through prayer. That's, that's how it happens, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. God will give you his peace, and it will guard your hearts and your minds. So do you need prayer tonight? Come on down.